We're going to look at both an Old Testament and a New Testament passage this morning. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, and Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. As you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, it is the second book of the Bible. Chapter 34 is near the end of it. And as you listen to God's word, give attention, for the word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Exodus chapter 34, beginning at verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And then if you would turn to the New Testament, to Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on, then... As God's chosen chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that we can call You Father, that You have given to us Your Word, and Your Word describes who You are, and Your Word describes that You have sent Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of Your Spirit, that we might know You, that we might trust in the work of Jesus, and that we might be formed into His image. Help us, O Lord, this morning to receive Your Word with gladness. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, this morning we are in the third week of a series that we are undertaking about what it means to be a covenant community. And this is important because we need to recall that Jesus is forming a community. He is building for himself a body, the church. And that body is to be marked by characteristics of things that Jesus loves. Things like humility. Things like love. And now this morning, things like forgiveness. It is important for us to understand who Jesus wants us to be, not just as individuals, but as a corporate community as well. As we are a city on a hill that Jesus is establishing, that his kingdom might go forth and that the gospel might take root in the hearts of his people across the world. 
This morning as we look at what it means to be a forgiving community, we look at three things about forgiveness. First, we see that forgiveness is needed. Forgiveness is needed. This is an important reminder to us in our world, especially today. Second, we see that forgiveness requires action. That forgiveness cannot just simply be something passive, that it requires action on our part. And then third, we see that forgiveness is founded in grace. That the only reason we know and can exercise and can receive forgiveness is because of the grace of God Himself. Forgiveness is needed, it requires action, and it is founded on grace. Let's begin then at looking at what it means to say that forgiveness is needed for us today. Forgiveness is needed before, first and foremost, a holy God. This is a reminder that we need now more and more frequently. Because we live today in a world that is without responsibility. Really today, no one seeks forgiveness. After all, no one really even expresses responsibility for things that they would need to be forgiven for. When was the last time that you read a story or saw a news conference or talked to someone who had done something wrong when they said, I'm in the wrong here. I've hurt you. I've hurt others. Please forgive me. Our society has become masters at equivocating, at excusing. The closest we get to accepting responsibility is to say, I'm sorry. That is actually not asking for real forgiveness. Especially when it is often teamed with, I'm sorry that you feel bad about what has happened. Of course there, that what that means is, it's not that I'm at fault, it's that you're at fault for having the bad reaction. Or even when horrible things are done that are ashaming, people will instead respond with, well, I had a lapse in judgment. I didn't do things as wisely as I should have. Today in our day and age and in our society, people flee from any piece of responsibility. No one is willing to admit when they have done something that is wrong. And so it is not surprising that no one asks for forgiveness. It also shouldn't surprise us that what we are seeing less and less in our world today is forgiveness itself. Because when people don't take responsibility, when people don't ask for forgiveness, we tend not to give it either. Do you notice that? Instead, it becomes sort of a national or cosmic game of one-upsmanship. Instead of giving forgiveness, we seek to get back at someone. We throw competing Facebook posts at each other to poke. We respond to something that has been done that is wrong by doing something wrong ourselves. You see, we don't live in a world where peace and joy and forgiveness is sought. Instead, we seek to have victory and power. And the reason is, is that we have forgotten that we as a people need the forgiveness of a holy God first and foremost. Exodus here describes for us who God is. 
that He is God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That He is one who will by no means clear the guilty. God is the creator of all things, and we owe Him a debt for this. He is merciful and gracious before us. He is slow to anger. This is a very vivid picture. He is long in being angry. Some of you know what that is like. You know what it's like when someone is not long in anger, don't you? People who have a short fuse. They give you no chance to explain yourself. As soon as something is out of sorts, they jump right down your throat. But the God of the universe, who is holy and perfect in all of His ways, who knows no sin, who knows no shortness of arm, He is long in His anger. He bears up with us for longer than we deserve. And this is because He abounds in covenant love. In steadfast love and faithfulness, Exodus tells us. And these two words are words that are often paired together. And they come to mean God's love that is sealed by His covenant promise. It is His covenant love. He loves us with a love that will not be broken. It is sealed by His oath and promise. It is similar to the way we used to think about marriage. That there was a promise and an oath that we had made. Vows that we had taken. And our love was bounded by them. We were not able to give up. We were not able to abandon our promise. Now the day has long gone past in which marriage holds that high esteem in our nation. But this is indeed the true character of the living God. He not only loves us with a fervor, He loves us with a surety and a promise. This is the God who is holy and just, and who always keeps His promises. Then the question comes to us, who are we before Him? If we are honest with ourselves... We know that we fall short. The the context for these verses is itself illustrative of this. God is describing Himself as gracious and merciful and abounding in love. And do you know the occasion on which He is saying this? This is after He has redeemed Israel from slavery and sin. He has whisked them up out of Egypt where they were under the thumb of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He has saved them from themselves and from their enemies. And He has brought them to His mountain to have a relationship with them, to describe for them His law and His character. He writes His law on two tablets, the Ten Commandments. But think about this. Before... Moses even has the opportunity to bring the tablets down to the Israelites. They have lapsed into idolatry and sin. He doesn't even get to tell them what the Ten Commandments are before they already start breaking all of them, worshiping a golden calf. And then you remember Moses breaks the tablets and he has to go back up and get a second set. It is in the context of Israel's rebellion and sin that God tells us He is gracious. This is true for your life as well. 
You see, so often a barrier in our life to forgiveness, to understanding we need forgiveness from the Lord, is our own view of our own sin. We think that we cannot go to the Lord for forgiveness, that we don't need it just yet until we have cleaned up our act, until we have fixed what is broken. But this is foolishness. It's like the child who, while playing with a ball inside, smashes the laptop computer and thinks before he'll tell mom and dad about this, he's got to get and fix the computer first. And so he gets out some scotch tape and he tapes over the cracks of the screen. He gets some glue and glues on the keys that have come off. And then he presents it to his father and mother and says, Here, look what I've done. I fixed this. I made a small mistake, but really you shouldn't worry about it at all. This is a foolish way for us to think that we can approach God. How much more important, how much more valuable is it that we would understand that we have wronged a true and holy God and that we have sinned before Him and that we need His forgiveness and that we can't fix what's broken. We can find forgiveness and restoration in spite of what is broken. You see, God cannot ignore our sin. He cannot pretend as if our sin does not exist. We would not actually want to live in a world like that, would we? Think about what your home would be like if you simply ignored everything that your children did that was unacceptable. Perhaps some of you have even met the products of such homes as they are out and about in the world. They're self-centered. There's no sense of justice or right or wrong. You see, God can indeed forgive our sin and He can forget our sin because it is forgiven, but He cannot ignore it. This is good news for us because forgiveness is actually what brings us to God. How can we have restored the most important relationship that we have? It is to approach God honestly, in light of His Word, to know who He is and to ask for forgiveness. Have you ever done someone wrong and had that awkward follow-on stage where you tried not to make eye contact with them afterwards? Not to be around them. As if somehow, if you just avoided them, everything would get better. What happens? Every day is worse, isn't it? Weeks that turn into months become a burden that's impossible to bear. We don't even want other people talking about that person around us because we're so aware of how wrong we are. Why would we want to live this way in front of God? before whom we are always present. No, the scripture calls upon us to go to a merciful and faithful and loving God. Because it is God's character. It is who God is in His mercy and love that allows us to set things right, to find forgiveness and grace. It is not based upon us or what we have done. It is based upon God's character. We need forgiveness. The second thing we need forgiveness for is to break the chain of sin. We see this 
at the end of our passage here in Exodus that the Lord is one who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Sin, in its continuance, cannot be ignored. Its effects do not go away simply by pretending it's not there. You know, that's as intelligent as driving a car and when the engine warning light comes on, simply pretending it's not there. Or getting a piece of paper and taping it over the top of it so we can't see it anymore. As if somehow our ignoring that problem will heal the engine. Will stop the damage that's going on. And of course, you and I know exactly what will happen. It will get worse because we ignore it. More damage will be done. More harm will come. You see, sin has its consequences. It makes us self-centered. It causes us to be hardened and callous to others around us, to not care about them and their needs and their hopes and their dreams. And sin has its consequences in the family as well. It affects our relationship one with another. Sin actually breeds more sin. That is what Moses is getting at here in our passage in Exodus. I don't think that what he means is, is that you are paying the penalty for your great-grandfather's sins. That if he took a candy bar, your life is miserable because of it. No, I think what he's doing is describing a very practical principle that we need to understand. It's the principle that if you lie in your home, you will raise liars. If you steal things regularly you will raise thieves. Expect the consequences of your callousness to sin to show up in your children and in your children's children. That is the way sin works. It teaches us to put aside God and everyone else and only look to our own selfish needs. Well, what can we do then? Think about your children. Some of you have them here with you. Look at them. Do you want them to be thieves and in jail? Do you want them to be liars? To be those who hurt others? To those who don't care about the Lord? Then you can do something about that right now. You can begin seeking forgiveness and repentance for your own sin. To show your children and the next generations that there is a reality to forgiveness and that the chain of sin can be broken. Your family today needs forgiveness. Show them how you forgive one another. Show them how you seek the Lord's forgiveness. Because you see, sin also has community consequences as well. It's true in the church. The more we tolerate sin in the church, the more sin we will see. But it is forgiveness that breaks the chain. It is forgiveness that heals relationships. It shows the futility of sin. It shows us that there is hope beyond what we see before us. It provides us another and a right way of living before God. We need forgiveness. The second thing we see is that forgiveness requires 
action on our parts. It requires action first and foremost in our lives. Now, we see this in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 3. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, we cannot forget that forgiveness begins with God. Forgiveness is first and foremost a restoration of that relationship we have. That God is the one who comes to us. That is at the core of the gospel. That we are broken and that we need forgiveness and that God comes to us as the forgiver. That He has made provision for the restoration of that relationship. First and foremost, our primary reference with respect to sin is God. We may sin against our spouse. We may sin against our sisters and brothers. We may sin against our friends. But in each and every instance, we sin before a perfect and a holy God. This is the heart of the gospel. Before we can restore anything else, that relationship must be restored. We cannot be right with others before we are right with God. And this forgiveness comes from God, but this forgiveness also requires a commitment from us. Because you see, if we are to place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust that He has paid the penalty for our sins and that we are justified and forgiven before God, the very first thing we must do is own up to our own sin. This is an action we must take. Pretending that we are without sin or that it is unimportant will stand forever between us and Jesus. We must desire the forgiveness that Jesus provides on His terms by His work. We must reach out, seek out the forgiveness of Christ. And we must put on this forgiveness, as Paul says. We must own it for ourselves. It must become a part of our being. It's like clothes that we always wear, that everyone sees us in, that everyone knows that's what we look like. You know what this is like, don't you? You have friends that are that kind of sports fan. You know, they don't own a shirt, but it's in their team's colors. Or they have a pin that they have to carry around. Or a hat that has the logo. Everywhere you see them, you associate that team with them because they can't get away from that. That's how forgiveness should be for the Christian. Everywhere we go, others should see that we are forgiven and that we are forgiving because we have a restored relationship with Christ. We live as those whose lives have been changed. This is why Paul tells us that we are to actively put on these characteristics. We are not just simply to hope it comes to us and sticks. We are to go and find these things and put them on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We live as those who are changed. We seek after God. We seek after His holiness. We seek after His purpose. And this forgiveness brings about changes in our relationships. This may be shocking to you. But change 
means change. It means something is different. And if we are changed by the living God, then it is not just a show. It's not just something that happens in a vacuum. So if forgiveness is something that is vital, it is something that we must share with others. We must have hearts that are less self-centered. If we're forgiven, we have to understand that we are not the center of everything. That everything does not revolve around us. That we have to think about others and their needs. We have to think about others' needs, especially for forgiveness, to have compassion upon them. Paul also tells us that we are to be patient with others. Now, this is not a newsflash. Patience is in short supply in the world today. Have you ever seen anyone exhibit great patience with someone else just out and about in society today? We cut in line. We honk horns at each other. We grab things out of each other's hands. We finish each other's sentences. We want to move, 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 quick, 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 quick. And if we could invent a device to make things go faster, we would do it. And patience also isn't often seen in the church, the place where Paul says it should be in great supply. When someone causes us a problem, we don't bear with them. We don't allow them to patiently work through issues. We don't work through our relationship with them. Oftentimes, we simply try to cut to the chase as quickly as possible. But Paul says, if we are to be those who are forgiven and who live in light of forgiveness, we must bear with one another. We must have patience. When Paul uses this word, bearing with one another, it's very vivid. He means we are to endure something difficult. This kind of patience should not come easy. It's not something we do with those that we easily relate to. We are to bear with those who, when they come up to us and speak to us, it has the effect like fingernails on a chalkboard to us. We are bearing and being patient with someone that as we see them across the room and they walk over towards us, the thought of our heart and our mind is, please just walk by me. Please don't engage me in a conversation. We're to be patient with one another, to bear one another, to forgive one another for our hurts. And this is also not easy, is it? Because when we've been hurt, our defenses go up. And we don't want to let anyone come in, least of all the one who has hurt us. But this is so critical that Jesus makes it a command. You remember the story about how important forgiveness is. Peter walked up to our Lord, and as Peter's often is the case with him, he tried to be as over the top as possible as he could be. You know, the standard rabbinic teaching was that if someone had wronged you, you had to forgive them two or three times. After that, if they didn't figure it out, you could cut them off. And so Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Like, if I get it, I don't know, like seven times. Like an awesome amount of times, Lord. Seven times. More than any other rabbi would ever say to do this. Then I'd be good, right? At eight, I've had it up to here and beyond. What does Jesus answer? 
His answer is, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus is not asking you to keep a notebook and on the 78th time for you to announce you've had enough, get away from me. That's not what Jesus means. What Jesus means is by using such a large number, such a multiple of what Peter thought was a multiple of what was acceptable, was basically saying you need to be forgiving all the time. It'll never run out. So what are we called to forgive? A lot of us can easily forgive when someone bumps us in a restaurant, as long as we don't spill food all over ourselves. We can forgive when someone does something small or easily to be overlooked. But you see, Paul does not call us to that kind of forgiveness. Do you see what he says? If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Now, we are not talking about the kind of false bravado in which we magnanimously forgive when someone drops a pen near us. No, he's saying, if anyone has a complaint, that is, if you have a complaint against someone and they are blameworthy, they are at fault, and it is a formal complaint, a complaint that others would recognize as a complaint, and that you could write down all of the reasons why it's valid, and you could list the witnesses. That's who you're supposed to forgive. And you see, those are the hardest things to forgive, aren't they? Because we nourish them in our hearts. We think we're actually righteous and good for nourishing a lack of forgiveness in our hearts because we have our reasons. And what Jesus says through the Apostle Paul is that we should be forgiving each other in spite of the fact that others do not deserve this forgiveness. It requires a commitment to forgiveness. It requires an understanding of the reality of forgiveness. Now you might ask, but pastor, how can I possibly do that when someone hurts me so horribly or deeply? How can I be ready if next year someone lashes out at me and hurts me so badly that I don't even know if I could ever forgive them? I'll give you an illustration. If you want to hit the game-winning shot of Game 7 of the NBA championship, do you know what you do? You shoot shots every single day. Over and over and over and over again. You do it until it's second nature. You do it until you can tell the difference of the feel of the ball in your hand based on where it is. You do it so you can account for the breeze from the air conditioning in the gym because you've done it so many times. You know exactly how high to jump. You know exactly where to stand. You know exactly where to shoot. You know exactly how much force to put forward. If you want to be ready to forgive someone when they do something that seems unforgivable, you must practice forgiveness each and every day. You must constantly be giving short accounts to other people. You must be asking for short accounts. You must be going up to someone and saying, I'm so sorry, I have wronged you. Would you please forgive me? 
When we cultivate that kind of relationship, when we cultivate that kind of community, when something comes to us that is horrible and is abominable, we can find forgiveness in our hearts by the grace of Christ and the world takes notice. Do you remember what happened in South Carolina? The important thing that happened after the murders after a gunman went in filled with hate and killed people at a prayer meeting, after sitting with them and listening to them pray? Do you remember how that community, that congregation, that visible representation of the people of God forgave that sin? They didn't say, oh, never mind. They didn't say, oh, it was his environment. They didn't say, oh, he has an excuse. They said, what you have done is horrible and it is wrong and we forgive you, not because of who we are, but because Jesus has shown us how to forgive. And when that happens, the world sits up like snapped out of a deep sleep. It is an opportunity for the gospel to go forward because that puts the gospel front and center because that's exactly what the gospel is about. It is about you being a sinful wretch who deserves nothing but damnation and hell for all of the sins you have piled over and over and over again on a holy God. And in spite of that, he reached out to you and sent his son to take the guilt and burden of your sin by dying the death that you deserved, that you might find forgiveness in Christ. If we cultivated that kind of a community, look out, world. It could not stand up against the gospel. Thirdly and finally, Forgiveness is founded in the grace of God. We find forgiveness first and foremost in Christ. It is not a false forgiveness. Forgiveness is not ignoring sin. Forgiveness is not reminding others of a sin after you said you've forgiven them. If you have ever said to someone in the heat of an argument, after you have forgiven them, well, I know you did this, four years ago against me. But do you remember the time when that's not real forgiveness? Real forgiveness does not remind about sin. Forgiveness is not retribution. It is not making things even, Stephen. It is not you hurt me, so I get to hurt you, and we will all be even. That's childish. You used to do that when you were a child. I know especially some of the men. One of your friends would get hit by you. And you'd have to even it up. You'd say, okay, your turn. You give me a shot in the arm. Then we'll be even. What you both end up with is bruises. And you're both sore and miserable. Real forgiveness lets go of hurt and pain. But forgiveness has a cost. Do you see what Paul says here? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, when Paul says as here, he's not just referring to the extent of the forgiveness because it's not as if we could forgive as much as Jesus forgives. We're not God. But it does refer to the sameness of the transaction, that the forgiveness that we find in Christ has a cost. It is hard. But there's also a reminder that it is worth it. 
Paul is telling you today that to forgive someone will hurt. It will be hard. But it will be worth it. This is how Jesus forgives. The body of Christ are those who are the forgiven. We know forgiveness because we have experienced it. And the forgiven then forgive. You know, I don't typically like bumper sticker theology. But there is one I do like. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. You know, that's theologically correct. It's also experientially true. If you don't experience that, you've never been to church. Because we do sin against each other because we're not perfect. We're forgiven by God, but that doesn't solve all of the problems. And so... Our commitment is not to some kind of ideal community. Our commitment is to be to each other. To understand that we will hurt one another and that will give us opportunity to show the grace and mercy of God within our community so that others might see. Forgiveness is not an option. It's not something that you can do once you've pulled it all together or once someone else has jumped through all of the hoops. Forgiveness grows out of our being forgiven. We are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, now note the word, must forgive. It doesn't say should. It doesn't say could. It says must It is the way of showing the Lord's grace and His power in our community. This is not just about being a good community and putting our best foot forward. It is something that God has called us to by His grace and mercy. It is a part about being the body of Christ. And so today I encourage you to forgive And to seek forgiveness. To give up on excuses. To give up on harboring and nourishing hatred in your heart and anger. But rather, to look especially at those who are in the church as those whom Jesus believes is valuable enough to merit the cost of His blood. When we see that, it puts our problems and needs in perspective. The forgiven, beloved, forgive. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, Lord, there is none like you. You are a forgiving God, and you teach us how to forgive. When you have forgiven us, you keep no record of wrongs. Our sins are cast away as far as the east from the west. Help us, Lord, not to be those who hang on to wrongs. Help us, O Lord, not to be those who nourish discomfort and anxiety. But help us, O Lord, to be those who seek to forgive and in forgiving to show the glorious change that you have wrought in us. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.